This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. The Missouri Department of Agriculture's director and the Missouri State Fair director will hop on to discuss drought across Missouri, more about the state fair, and also the politics in between with it. A tribute and pinning ceremony for the state's Korean War veterans is just around the corner. And through a new law, there have been some changes to retirement systems that will affect future sheriffs. But first, the Missouri Department of Agriculture has just opened up applications for a food insecure cost share grant. It's designed to benefit residents in urban areas of the state that are affected by food insecurity. Taylor Tuttle, manager of the Missouri Grown Program for the Department of Ag, manages this grant. So this grant actually opened on July 15th, and it is a grant that is aimed at supporting projects in urbanized areas that address food insecurity. Food insecurity. So I'm reading this is availability of up to, I believe, $50,000 per project. That's a pretty size amount. Could you go into more details? Yeah, that is correct. So the max amount that any applicant or awardee would be awarded is $50,000. Um, the grant covers 75% of the total project cost. So 25% of those project costs would be a match by the grantee, and then they would be eligible for 75% reimbursement of the total project cost up to that $50,000 max. And, you know, we've seen a lot of different projects over the years. Um, some of those projects include ag education centers um, in a community or neighborhood that focuses on teaching residents how to produce their own food. Um, maybe it's a community garden or a permanent farmer's market. Or in other cases, we've had um, community kitchens, you know, a certified kitchen that folks can rent at no cost or low cost to process their food. You brought up a couple of examples. Besides farmer's markets, what other sort of things could we possibly see this used for? The immediate example that comes to my mind would be something like, I don't know, a food bank. Yeah, so we've had, uh, we have had some, some different models of different projects through the years. I think we've had some, you know, that, that do mimic more like a farmer's market, but maybe it's a pay what you can or it's more of a donation type, um, similar to like a food bank. Um, we've also seen a lot of community gardens who really focus on, you know, growing food and inviting the community out there to learn about growing the food. And then they do then donate that food to the folks that are there um, helping raise the food or potentially to a food bank. When I think of urban areas, I think of like St. Louis, Jefferson City, Kansas City, Columbia, things like that. But maybe I, I might be wrong in this because I was reading places like Chillicothe are also labeled as urban areas, which I think is interesting. So could you talk a little bit about that and which areas qualify for this sort of stuff? So this particular grant within the state statute, which is House Bill 6, it specifically states that the funding for this grant is for initiatives that work to reduce food insecurity um, in areas which have been designated an urbanized area by the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, so when we uh, get ready to launch this grant, we refer to that U.S. Census Bureau listing. They make it really easy. They break it down by state um, and list those urban areas. So that list um, for this grant comes from the U.S. Census Bureau. It, you know, it, it means residents in these areas could apply for this and, and not immediately think, oh, well, I don't live in Columbia, so I, I can't apply for this sort of thing. So I think that's important, too. Yeah, and, you know, we we um, have had this grant for several years, and, you know, we noticed as we were preparing for the grant this year that the Census Bureau actually changed how they define um, that urban area, which did, in fact, open up 
those areas, um, which allowed for more folks to be eligible for this funding. We're talking with Taylor Tuttle, manager of the Missouri Grown Program for the Missouri Department of Agriculture. She's the manager of the Food Insecure Cost Share Grant. Now that funds are available, and we're trying to get the word out to everyday Missourians who may be interested in applying for this sort of thing. So is this a competitive grant program? How many can apply and uh, when or will the funds run out? That's a great question. It is a competitive grant. We do receive applications. Um, like I said, the grant opened on July 15th. It will be open until August 31st. It will actually close um, at 11.59 p.m. on August 31st. So that is the period of time that we will be accepting uh, grant applications, uh, either via mail or email. Um, and then from there, we have a review committee who reviews the applications, scores those applications, and then based on funding, uh, we award out. So really, depending on the types of projects, the amount of funding that's being requested, um, it really changes how many grants we're able to award each year. You made it sound like this uh, the money for this project is being uh, basically uh, funded by the Missouri legislature. Uh, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So this is funding that is set aside in the House Bill um, 6 and is funding that the legislator has put in there, again, to support um, projects in urban areas to address food insecurity. So we were talking a little bit about the dates and the deadline to apply. What about the project deadline? Could you go into more details about that? Sure. So we typically award the grants. Um, you know, our plan is late September. Um, and then we have some other forms that are due. We have a reimbursement request form that is due January 31st of 2024. And then their final report is due March 31st of 2024. And then their inspection, um, because we inspect each project um, before we uh, reimburse for project expenses, um, those inspections be completed by April 30th um, and we 2024 and our team works really closely uh, with those grantees to, to make sure that they're on track and they have the things that they need to be successful in these grants because ultimately our goal is to help um, these projects these organizations to help address this uh, food insecurity in these areas. And before we continue, if you're tuning in late and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Just type in Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Click subscribe, like, download, and listen and take us with you wherever you are on the go. So I talked and asked about this last time we uh, had an interview for Show Me Today, and I believe it's important to bring this up as well. Uh, food insecurity, I believe, is extremely important, especially considering the cost of everything is, is skyrocketing out the wazoo. So my question for you is, could you explain why it's important to tackle and address food insecurity, especially in 2023? Yeah, you make some great some great points. You know, inflation is certainly a concern for a lot of folks, and, and we certainly have, um, unfortunately, folks who are hungry. And so this grant, again, really aims to 
um, address food insecurity in those urban areas and also help those uh, farmers or organizations who are trying to help those folks in need. Um, so this grant really is designed uh, to do just that. And as I said earlier, you know, we are really committed as a team to get this grant um, funding out the door to these folks who can utilize it uh, to make that positive impact. And, you know, due to our fiscal year, you know, the timeline of the grant um, is you know, July is the application process, and then it has to close by April 30th. But we have seen some really awesome projects over the year who, you know, these projects that have really done a great, uh, a great job uh, helping those in need in their communities. This not only helps address food insecurity, but it helps everyday Missourians out. Like, for example, seniors who can't or are unable to afford, for example, fresh fruits and vegetables and for example, from a local food bank perspective, it could provide more available foods and supplies to help out whomever they're trying to help out and serve. So at the end of the day, trying to help out everyday Missourians is key and is extremely important from a food insecurity point of view. Absolutely. And if folks are interested in this in this grant program or any other program we have at the department, um, I encourage folks to reach out to our department. Um, the information regarding this particular grant can be found on our website at agriculture.mo.gov. And again, if folks have questions, we're happy to help uh, answer those questions and um, help them through the process. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Calling all Korean War veterans. Join us on July 27, 2023 at the Missouri State Capitol at 10 a.m. in the First Floor Rotunda for the 70th Anniversary Korean War Veterans Armistice Day event. This tribute is dedicated to your incredible bravery and sacrifice in protecting our freedom and democracy. The event features a pinning ceremony and resource fair to honor and recognize your service. Don't miss this special moment in history. Register online at veteranbenefits.mo.gov to join us. One in seven Missouri children is food insecure, not knowing where their next meal may come from. Drive to Feed Kids is a year-round effort of Missouri farmers, agribusiness, and farm groups to address food insecurity in our state. Through meal packing events, gifted food products, hog processing, and monetary donations, the ag community provides support to the agencies serving our most vulnerable citizens. Visit MoFarmersCare.com drive to learn more. That's MoFarmersCare.com drive. Discover the fascinating world of nature right here in Missouri with Discover Nature Notes. Today, let's jump into the weird world of spittlebugs. You'll never look at bugs the same way again. Spittlebugs literally grow in a protective bubble. You may see these bubbles that look like spit on plants this time of year. The spittlebug nymph finds protection from the weather and predators while feeding and growing inside the bubbles. Adult spittlebugs are high-jump champions in nature, leaping more than 100 times their length in height. By comparison, that would be like you or me jumping over the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. The acceleration used for jumping is a force more than 400 times the force of gravity. So when you see the bubbles, just rest assured you're witnessing the growth of nature's high jumper, the spittlebug. Discover more with Missouri Department of Conservation at discovernaturenotes.com. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Back here on Show Me Today from Droughts, the Missouri State Fair, and to politics, Brownfield's Cindy Young and Missouri Nets' Elisa Nelson talk to Missouri Department of Agriculture Director Chris Chin and Missouri State Fair Director Mark Wolf about these hot topics. I'm going to pull out the D word. We are in the midst of, of a drought, and red zone in the uh, part of the state where the Missouri State Fair will be held, has that impacted uh, entries? at all for for livestock how how does that look this year well you're you're absolutely right as a matter of fact the map i saw today is we are now in the exceptional drought so i don't know how it gets any worse than that i guess desert the d word desert will be the next thing because that's what's going to be left but uh we actually got some rain there yesterday and last night so hopefully that will turn the tide on that um you know it we've always kind of watched that kind of thing um you know, concern that the, that our ag families and folks, uh, depending on how that is going over the course of the summer, would 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 greatly affect their ability or willingness to expend money and come to the state fair and things like that. And you know, in my time there, I've never really seen it have a huge effect. Uh, and I'm I'm sure it affects certain families different. You know, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, our entries are up right now over what they were last year. Uh, our request for camping for exhibitors is up considerably over what it was last year. Uh, and we've been in a drought over in that part of the state for months. I mean, it's been really dry since April over there. So, you know, as it stands right now, you know, do I think it's going to be a dramatic effect? I hope not. Uh, and I hope maybe this weather system kind of shifts around a little bit and we get some rain. Uh, I have a lot of friends over in Saline County where I live that, uh, routinely call and ask me to go ahead and start the fair so they can get rain because that usually brings rain you know that's kind of the joke so uh we don't want that to happen and mess us up at the fair but at the same time uh rain's pretty important and, and we would take all we could get right now i want to i want to jump over and ask uh director chin at the missouri state fair if you are wanting to make a connection or see lawmakers or or people who are, um, you know, at the at the top level in the state of Missouri, you're probably going to see them at the fair. Our governor is a regular visitor to the Missouri State Fair. Our lieutenant governor, um, can you talk a little bit about that and and why they show up? Yeah. Well, you know, agriculture is the number one economic driver in the state of Missouri, and the Missouri State Fair is agriculture's largest family reunion. And so if you want to talk with farm families and connect with the people who are working every day in agriculture, the State Fair is a great opportunity to do that. Uh, Monday, August the 14th, Congressman Mark Alford is going to be having a farm bill listening session at the Missouri State Fairgrounds. This is the first time that we can remember that this has ever taken place on the State Fairgrounds. It'll happen on the new core pavilion. So 
there's a lot of opportunity there to get your voice heard about Farm Bill and the upcoming changes that may need to be taken place in the Farm Bill. And then also on uh, legislative day. So ham breakfast day with the governor is Thursday, August the 17th. The governor will be there. Most of the statewide elected officials will be there as well as many state representatives and state senators and even a few U.S. congressional leaders will probably make an appearance as well. Uh, that's a very important day for the Missouri State Fair. It's an opportunity to recognize the leadership in state government and in Washington, D.C. for Missouri's behalf, but also it just gives them another opportunity to reach out to the agriculture culture community, see what's happening on the Missouri State Fairgrounds, but more importantly, visit with the 4-H and the FFA kids who are working in those livestock barns. You'd be surprised how many of those legislators beeline after the breakfast is over to go to those livestock barns to look for people that they know from their area, look at their animals, talk to them about their summer and how they've been doing through the show season. And then a lot of them you'll find over in the 4-H and the FFA buildings as well, because there are so many excellent projects in those two buildings and a lot a lot of times people overlook those buildings, um, but many of our legislators see the value in that. And so that's a great opportunity for our youth to be able to be exposed to the people who are making policy that's going to impact their future in agriculture. Missouri State Fair Director Mark Wolf and Missouri Department of Agriculture Director Chris Chen joining Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson, joined by Cindy Young of Brownfield, talking about the upcoming Missouri State Fair, August 10th through the 20th in West Central Missouri, Sedalia. I'm curious what the economic impact is like of the Missouri State Fair on the state and the community of Sedalia. Do you happen to know? Can you give me a ballpark? Well, honestly, no, I cannot. Um, we have, uh, it has been tossed around several times uh, to work towards putting together an economic impact for the state fair. Uh, we have made attempts to, to work with some folks to do that in the past, but the cost was just something the fair couldn't afford to do. So uh, I I'm feel fairly confident that I could tell you it's significant. Uh, I, I believe that. Uh, I can also tell you that similar size fairs in their communities, you know, it's not unusual for them to report economic impacts to the state of over $30 million a year. Uh, now, that could not mean just the fair dates itself, but the other things that go on on the fairgrounds, just like we do throughout the year. So, um, you know, I think it's pretty significant. Uh, I, I believe it's certainly significant to, um, to Pettis County and the city of Sedalia. Uh, there are some things that come along with having the state fair in, in, in the heart of your city that's probably a little frustrating if you're just a local person going to work and uh, you're trying to get past the traffic and things like that. But uh, all in all, uh, you know, the 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 uh, what you get back from that, I think, is probably overrides that. So uh, I, I wish I could tell you that that's a great question and uh, something that we've had a lot of conversation. Uh, fair Commission has talked about that in the past, and uh, it's just not something uh you know, that we've been able to afford on our own, I guess, as far as a, a, a state agency goes. So I uh, would like to see that done someday. Mm -hmm. Try to get a hotel room anywhere near Sedalia during the Missouri State Fair. And um, it, it's a little bit of a challenge. So that tells you that housing, <laughs> housing, they're making some they're making some money. There's an there's an impact, an economic impact there. You know, you were talking about driving to work and that may be a little bit of a hassle but actually if you are a fair goer coming in to go to the Missouri State Fair it's really easy to get in the fairgrounds and very well marked it 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 doesn't take all day like it does with 
honestly, some other fairgrounds that I've attended in other states. Yeah, that's true. Actually, you know, uh, uh, with our fairgrounds located right on a major four-lane highway uh, and running from uh, basically from, well, it's not four-lane all the way to Springfield, but coming from Springfield all the way to I-70, um, makes it pretty easy to get to and get in and out of. Uh, one thing about our fair, and I find this a little frustrating with myself and our staff, is we, we often feel like we have way too many gates in and out of this place. But, you know, from a fairgore standpoint or an exhibitor or campers and folks like that getting in and out, um, it's very beneficial. Uh, it just costs a lot of money to cover those gates and watch them, you know, 24 hours a day during the fair and things like that. So uh, our fairgrounds is very easy to to, to uh, get gain access to. And, um, and I hope as we move forward uh, after the purchase of this new land, uh, I've been working with the city and, and the uh, county there of Pettis about putting a new city street through uh, and allowing easement across that new property out to the west, which will really relieve traffic up around the fairgrounds, uh, I think. And so and, and offer folks locally a, a way around that. Uh, so uh, that's in, in the works, I think. And, um, you know, kind of as part of that. Wait till you see what we got two years from now. You know, I think people are going to be really like what they see. I'm curious what the staffing situation looks like for the state fair this year. Um, you know, if there's a need for more staffing and what type of what type of jobs would be available? Well, the job list is pretty extensive. You can do it. You can get a job doing anything from cleaning restrooms to uh, selling tickets in a booth or being part of uh, the parking crew, uh, working in an admissions gate, uh, working in a barn, uh, in a sales arena, uh, in our offices, in the revenue office, um, uh, part of maintenance. Um, so there are a lot of, there's a large variety of jobs that, that we offer up. Uh, you know, the state fair pays $15 an hour. So we got, thanks to Director Chen and her hard efforts uh, in working with uh, the governor, we were able to get some funding to help us get that boosted up. And so that's been a that's been a huge plus for us uh, to when we struggle to do that, because we literally we go from, um, what, 23 of us full time that run that place uh, year round to nearly a thousand uh, by the time the fair kicks off in August. So uh, it takes a lot of people to do that. Show me today. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you talk and they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. you try all the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey. 
Want a drink? No, thanks. I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Show Me Today. I'm Cameron Connor. If you've missed any part of today's show, make sure to search Show Me Today wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on Thursday, the state of Missouri will hold a tribute and pinning ceremony for the state's veterans of the Korean War. It will be the 70th anniversary of the war's Armistice Day and will happen at the Capitol Rotunda in Jefferson City. Missouri Veterans Commission Director and retired Colonel Paul Kirchhoff explains what will happen to Ashley Bird. When you did this for the Vietnam veterans, it was to repair something that hadn't been done in the state. So right. tell me how you set the precedent there and why you're reaching out now to the Korean War veterans. So much like our uh, Vietnam veterans, the Korean War veterans, they came home from Korea. They uh, went back to school, went back to work, uh, went back to their families. They didn't receive the the thanks, the, the parades, the 
uh, the the accolades for the the sacrifices that they made. Uh, you know, like World War II veterans came home. There was generally a parade for them. There was uh, the 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 thanks for for their their sacrifices. When I came home from Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, we had the police escorts home. There were the welcome home ceremonies. But our Vietnam veterans and our Korean War veterans, they just didn't have that. And so this is an attempt to 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 repair that uh, that damage that that lack of of appreciation for their sacrifices and why in Korea I know that the Vietnam War was a was an embattled war in itself mm. right it, it, sure. here but the it's often said that the Korean War was kind of a, a lesser known war an often forgotten war that, that's exactly what it's called the forgotten war uh, and some people would say it wasn't even a war it was at the time it was called a conflict not a war wow so that you know that plays a part and then it, it came on the tails of of World War two itself so many of the World War two veterans uh, actually wound up fighting also in Korea so they they did their time in in World War two and then wound up uh, in Korea as well so in uh, World War II, you you knew who you were, why you were there. It was uh, against the fascists. It was to to uh, uh, free the the nations that uh, Germany and Japan had taken over. But there just wasn't that sense in Korea uh, and uh, or Vietnam for that. And and so that it it kind of was uh, uh, considered uh, wrongly a lesser lesser conflict. They were, they were just like in World War II. There were people dying. There were people making the ultimate sacrifices. There were people who uh, made all sacrifices. Uh, uh, all up and down the, the line of of, uh, of 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 conflict, just like in World War II, but for some reason, uh, just because of the the timing of it, probably. What what can they? What are they telling us? You know about that war and those that survived that are still around, being being recognized. As you mentioned, this is the folks that really at the end of World War II. So we are losing a lot of those veterans. We are. Uh, you know, you, you say it it, it was uh, a war just like a World War II. If you've ever had a bullet fly by your head, it doesn't matter if it's a conflict or a war. It still feels the same way. Uh, and uh, we are losing a lot of those Korean War veterans, unfortunately. it's that's They're in that age group where uh, it's it's time. We need to do everything we can to thank them now because there's there be there are fewer and fewer of them every day. Uh, in fact, that they, they probably we're moving toward where in our veterans' homes we have more uh, Vietnam veterans than we do any uh, any other generation. So this is now we need to strike now. We need to thank them now and make sure that they know they're. They're uh, being recognized and, and uh, appreciated for their sacrifices. And and they will say the same, exactly what I said is that uh, it was a war. It was a, it, it felt like a war. They were in, they were in grave danger, uh, just like any other war. And uh, they, they should not be forgotten. We're talking with Director Paul Kirchhoff here of, of uh, the Veterans Commission, Missouri Veterans Commission, and about a particular event coming up to recognize these Korean veterans. Uh, you're listening to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. And if you want to hear this again and share this with family and friends, you can also listen to it on our podcast, Show Me Today. Tell me about this event. This is something that we're working ahead on. want to get as many folks Involved, right? Tell Absolutely. us all about the event. So it's uh, it's the 70th anniversary of the Korean War armistice. 
Uh, so it's July 27th uh, of 2023 at 10 a.m., which is the exact time when the Korean armistice was signed at 10 a.m. on the on the 27th. So, and it's a it the it's a, an event designed to honor and recognize the Korean War veterans and their families. Family sacrifice to, is uh, just like our the veterans themselves did, just in a different way. So they need to be recognized as well. And it's a it's a a, a ceremony where we'll have a POW remembrance, uh, and we're we're very fortunate to have Colonel Clark, who was a he was a Vietnam veteran, but he was a POW in the in the uh, Hanoi Hilton, and so uh, he'll do the POW MIA remembrance. And if you've ever met him, that he's he's a very uh, it's very striking to listen to him speak. Uh, I I I can't think of a higher honor than to have him at this uh, event. We'll have some remarks as well as the pinning ceremony, where we'll pin uh, lapel pins on the the veterans themselves as a uh, thank you for them. Uh, also on site, we'll have the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, our programs, uh, the homes and cemeteries and the VSP program will have representation there. Uh, we'll have a will clinic. Uh, our staff attorney is gathering several attorneys throughout the Jefferson City area and we'll, we'll, we'll provide wills and legal documents uh, at the request of, of those veterans uh, who, who asked for that in, in advance. They will have the honor flight, uh, University of Missouri, the DAV, Disabled American Veterans, and several others will be on site. So uh, it'll be on the first floor, the rotunda. So it, if you've ever had a uh, been to one of a ceremony on the uh, in the rotunda, you, you know that that it's it's quite a moving uh, place to have a ceremony, and we're looking forward to it. Well, you're bringing them into the state capitol to be duly recognized. I would imagine uh, state officials, top officials will be there. I know you'll be there. Uh, members of the National Guard and and who, who else going to going to be honoring these folks? So we'll we'll have the Adjutant General for the National Guard. We've invited uh, several of the of our legislators uh, in as well. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe has, has volunteered a portion of his office to do the the Will Clinics. We're very thankful for that as well. So, and we'll have uh, several of uh, military veterans and officials who are currently serving do the the pinning themselves. So the point is to to let folks know this is happening, mm-hmm. and to get them to come out or to get them to get their parents to come out or a lot of this appeal, a lot of our listeners, maybe even grandchildren mm-hmm. of these Korean War veterans. What do they need to know and how do they get their folks there? So you, you bring up a good point. Uh, whenever we whenever we have events or we ask for uh, uh, veterans to attend, a lot of times it comes from the spouse or the children. And, and, and that's important. It's important that we reach out to encourage those veterans as a lot of them, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a, it was a difficult time in their lives and they'd, they'd uh, maybe not always a, a good memory for them, but they, they deserved to, to, uh, to have this recognition. Uh, for, as far as the event is concerned, you know, we'll, we'll, there's, there's, we'll have parking out around the Capitol uh, available. Uh, just, you'll have to go through the, the main entrance, uh, and there is security to get into the Capitol, but uh, the, they, they do a good job of getting people through rather quickly. Uh, we'll meet at the in, in the rotunda, and then from there we'll, we'll start some of the other events, the, the, the tables such as the, the uh, 
Veterans Affairs. You have an opportunity to meet with Veterans Affairs. Our veteran service officers, I, I would, if, if you are a veteran or you're a family member of a veteran and they haven't applied for their veterans uh, services, their benefits that they earned through their service, uh, we encourage you to, to meet with our uh, veteran service officers or the VA themselves. Just to educate the families, too, about the services that are available to Absolutely. them. So they just need to get there at 10 a.m. on July 27th. Correct, yes. Okay. And are we bringing uh, veterans from the veterans' homes as well? We'll, we, will, uh, we will bring as many as we can to the, to the, to the ceremony. Absolutely. Some of, you know, unfortunately, many of the veterans in our, our homes are limited in their travel for uh, just they just aren't capable of traveling. But we'll, we will bring as many as we can to the, to the Capitol as well. All right. So we know when to, when to be there. What day it is? How do they get registered? Well, there's a couple of ways they can register ahead of time. Uh, one is to go to our website. We'll have it on our website where they can. Uh, uh, it'll be on our banner where it shows. Uh, they can click on our, on that, and it'll take you to the registration. Or call five seven three five two two nine zero seven one. And when we 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 want people to register just to make sure that we have enough pins available. We we don't want to leave anybody behind uh, as far as the the pinning ceremony itself. I've been to one or two of these ceremonies, and they're very touching. Mm. They're very emotional. They are. Um, it's important, I think, for Missourians to see this as well. You don't just have to be a veteran. You you should probably in your course of life participate in some of these just as i uh encourage people to go to naturalization ceremonies and all those those things that that really recognize the best of of what we do here in in america but how would you describe one of these ceremonies it's not it's it's very serious and in kind and yet it's 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 very emotional Uh, that emotional is a good way to put it uh you know a lot of times uh if if I've had a tough week or a rough day, I find that going to one of our veterans' homes and speaking to those veterans about their what they've done, their sacrifices they made, it, it's uplifting. It it rejuvenates me, uh, gives me purpose again, and I think that that's the case. For, that should be the case for any any of our uh, of our state citizens to just speak with a veteran learn learn a little bit and and understand what had to happen in order for us to have the freedoms that we we are, are blessed with today and what do you hear from the veterans that have been recognized that's just like you did with with uh, the Vietnam War mm-hmm. veterans what do you hear from them what is their response to being honored like this uh, appreciation and and just thanks for they they it, it it is a a great event for them. It's an emotional event for them as well to to finally understand that people recognize what they've done, the sacrifices they've made over uh, in in their life to to make everything possible. So they they are very appreciative and and just to to be uh, to be recognized as a as a as a veteran is is something that's it's powerful uh, for them as well. All right, so we want to reach out to the veterans of, of the Korean War in Missouri so that they can take part in this celebration of them. Let's go back over how people can learn more about this event and get signed up. I would encourage everyone to go to our website, mvc.dps.mo.gov, or if they need to register by phone, that's 573 522 
800-242-9071. And if you're like me, you can go Google Missouri Korean War veterans <laughs> penning event, and it should probably lead us in the right direction there. That's probably more my style as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, they can uh, listen again and get all this information on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Thank you so much, Director Kirchhoff, uh, for being here with us to explain this event coming up, and we're, we'll continue to talk about it. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Since Missouri's agricultural community joined together to help support the launch of Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids in 2017, the drive has generated 11,224,132 meals that have all been donated to Missourians in need. Together, we can get Missouri food products on the plates of hungry Missouri children and their families. Visit mofarmerscare.com drive to learn more and join the effort emotional and mental health challenges, but many of us do not understand what we are facing or know how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we understand what you are going through, and we are here to help. Our vision is to build a mentally healthy nation for all. We work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. University of Missouri encourages you to eat smart, like a tiger. Use the grill to cook vegetables and fruits. Try grilling mushrooms, onions, peppers, or zucchini on a kebab skewer. Brush with oil to keep them from drying out. Grilled fruits like peaches, pineapple, or mangoes add variety to a cookout. Find more tips like this at muext.us slash eatsmartlikeatiger. This message was funded by USDA SNAP. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training, along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on United States Deputy Sheriff's Association, please visit usdeputy.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. When state employees retire, they have pensions waiting for them. With a new law that has passed, there has been a change to retirement systems that will affect future sheriffs. Here to explain with Marshall Griffin is Jefferson County Sheriff Dave Marshak. Tell us what the current retirement system is for sheriffs in Missouri. 
Well, I guess it depends. Look, there's good news and bad news, and I guess it depends on which side of the fence you sit on. Uh, you know, in rural Missouri, uh, sheriffs are, uh, many of them only have one retirement system. That is the Missouri Sheriff's Retirement System. Uh, alternatively, about half the sheriffs in the state participate in other programs. For example, loggers. Their county may have loggers retirement system plus the Missouri Sheriff's Retirement System. And so, with these latest changes in the Missouri legislature, uh, it addressed some shortfalls that the fund had, uh, so in a positive way, and then negatively, uh, they put some restrictions on there that will negatively impact some of the larger counties. And get a little bit more into detail about how it will impact the larger counties. Well, specifically, if you're uh, a commander at the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, for example, and you are participating both in the County Employee Retirement Fund and the Missouri State uh, Government Loggers Fund, uh, you will no longer be eligible to participate in either one of those. And by doing so, being elected as sheriff, you're taking a risk and a hit for eight years of accumulating a pension while you're getting vested into the sheriff's retirement system, which will take you two full complete terms to be vested. And I saw something written, saw something written in a statement that where you expressed concern that this change could discourage some qualified candidates for running for sheriff in the future. Is that a real threat? It is. I mean, uh, the reality is we're asking, look, Jefferson County is a large county, uh, population almost 230,000. We have uh, our own unique challenges. Uh, we need competent leadership to be in these positions. And it's not an indictment on some of the rural counties, but our challenges here in the St. Louis region uh, are complex. And we want the most qualified people in these leadership positions. To make that happen, we need to make a compensation package and a retirement package that's going to be suitable for a professional to run such an organization and take on so much responsibility and risk. And to make that happen, we need to make sure that compensation package is there. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we're speaking with Jefferson County Sheriff Dave Marshak. It seems like the answer to this, since it was part of a bill that was signed into law, is to go back to the legislature next year and see if this can be either corrected or amended in some way. Is that, is that what you're going to push for? Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, obviously, look, the Missouri legislature has a, a tough job and to find consensus among such a large, diverse group representing parts of the state can be a challenge. It's a real challenge. You know, I think if we're looking at this uh, optimistically, I think there were some successes in terms of this legislation. As a result of a Missouri Supreme Court rule two years ago, uh, it negatively impacted the fund. The Missouri legislature worked to make sure uh, for some positive improvements. I mean, the reality is now that the retirement fund can accept appropriations and gifts. Uh, Governor Parson uh, moved $2.5 million in appropriations to help support the fund. Obviously, those are all good things. Um, you know, sheriffs now contribute 5% of their salary um, to help support it. In some ways, that's a good compromise. It's, I think moving forward, we need to make some uh, changes for some of the larger counties uh, that are negatively impacted uh, by this because we need competent leadership to run for these positions. Do you know if... If the, uh, the the things that were the protections that were taken out were because of the positive that were added, uh, would, do you think that any horse trading went on in order to get what's in the bill passed? Well, 
Look, I think getting consensus among such a diverse group from across the state is always a challenge. Um, and I think that, you know, moving forward to bring everybody in and talk about how it impacts different counties um, is both going to be a challenge and I look towards success. My goal long term is to work with the uh, executive branch of the uh, Missouri Sheriff's Retirement Board uh, and the Missouri legislature to find a workable solution. So we encourage qualified leadership to run our organization. Uh, again, when you when you negatively impact the retirement, uh, and again, you want sheriffs that have experience, right? So uh, most of the leadership has already been in the organization for a number of years. And when you're wanting those people that have experience to run the organization, they're going to be looking and considering the retirement numbers. At this point, do you has any negotiations begun with lawmakers to perhaps see if some type of bill can be crafted as soon as next year to uh, to give the uh, the future sheriffs a better retirement uh, better retirement deal? Yeah, and I think look, I think there's going to be a, a lot of uh, reaching out to legislators to talk about the impact, both in terms of uh, what they had success last. Because here's we can't shortfall them. I mean, they had success last session, and we need some improvements for the future. You know, I mean, if you're a rural sheriff and you have no other retirement other than the sheriff's retirement system, you look back on last legislative session as a complete success. Um, however, if you're from some of the larger counties and you are no longer going to be able to participate in the logger system, then that's going to be a real concern for those in the future. I think we need to get uh, started now. That's why I'm making myself available to talk about you know some of these challenges. Uh, so moving forward, everybody has a better understanding of the impact. Well, that brings up another question. The the ones who have participated in, in the logger system and won't be able to from now on, they'll still be able to keep what they've what they've put in so far. They just won't be able to put in any more. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. And um, and so. In short, this is going to be uh, an event that impacts all future sheriffs beginning January 1. Um, but again, I think if we look at some of the accomplishments we've made in this county, uh, we want to see qualified, competent people be in these leadership positions because there's so much at risk. Is there anything else that the, the public needs to know about this before we uh, before we part ways here? You know, look, I think uh, like every uh, legislation, there are some successes and failures, and this was a compromise. Um, I'm not going to criticize, you know, some of the negative aspects of it, but I think uh, moving forward in the future, we we'll definitely have uh, a job uh, to work with the legislators moving forward to fix some of these things that will impact counties like Jefferson. We absolutely need the most qualified people running an organization this size, and to make that happen, we have to fix the retirement system so the sheriffs have the suitable compensation package. And that was Jefferson County Sheriff Dave Marshak talking about changes to retirement options for sheriffs in larger Missouri counties. If you're just joining us and want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show Me Today.